Welcome to Two Women Chatting with Liz and Michelle. Enjoying life in our 50s, we're also empty nesters, looking to reinvent, reset, have fun, and talk about topics with experts and friends that affect us, our kids, and our families. So grab a cuppa and join us on the sofa for a chat. There's always room for one more. We're not tech savvy, but we do our best. But it's a learning curve. All bumps, clicks, and noises are our own. Come on in and have a seat. So, we were going to talk about the menopause. Because mm. we never talk about the menopause. Nobody ever talks about the menopause. No, it's a good thing. People are talking about the menopause, and that's the point, isn't it? That, that is the point. A lot of people are talking about the menopause. You can't look in a newspaper or a magazine or, you know, there's a supplement, which is amazing and great. But what I would say, as you literally, as you're talking, it's women that are talking about the menopause. Oh, good point. Have you heard many men talking about the menopause? I only saw Jeremy Vine wearing that meno vest, yeah. which was, yeah, that's really mm. cool that he had done that. And they, that's what that meno vest is. Have you seen that? Yes. So that they hot. experience hot flushes. Yeah. But you're right, not journalists, not TV presenters, not editors in newspapers. All the articles are written by women too. Obviously, because we know what's going on. But But I suddenly realised that. Because we're doing a whole podcast on the menopause. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Mm. But we do need more men to get on board with it. And I, I know for some men it must be so weird that you're, you know, if you've been in relationship with this woman for years or decades mm. even, and then suddenly you you change into this <laughs> she-devil in your 40s or 50s. Quite alarming. What well, is for them and for you? I mean, for me, it was alarming because I didn't know what... The, I'd never heard of the perimenopause. Neither had I. Because, I mean, I went through it quite a long time ago. As you say to listeners, I'm through the menopause. I suppose that's... I don't know, is, it, is there a particular time or definitive term when they say you're through it? I don't know, really. But, yeah, we're not very good at this, are we? No, well, I think that's why I think we need to find. Yeah. I thought I was. I thought I had absorbed a lot of information, and I think I have. But then, when people start talking about body identical and mm. bio identical, I think, oh, I better go and look up what I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, because you're on HRT, but you're on the. You don't know. <laughs> no, I do know the products I'm on. Yeah, I do. So you don't know whether it's bio or no. It is. Body it's, or... I did because I looked it up. Okay. So it's body identical. Okay. HRT is not just one particular product. There's 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 a lot, and and I think that from what I'm hearing and reading is that it one doesn't fit all one size not one size but one product, and you may go on HRT and it doesn't do any good, so mm. you have to try something else. And I think that's the thing that's that's great that we are now. Well, the doctors are not going. There you go. That's it. But they it did. To be honest, when I went, and I went to go and see an NHS doctor, and I okay, so backing up. Mm. I never knew what perimenopause was no. when I was going through it. And that wasn't even that long ago. And I remember going to my, my friend in tears saying, I honestly think I'm getting early onset Alzheimer's mm. or something. I well. And I was I was genuinely so scared. And, she, you know, she was very kind and I was almost begging my doctor. Well, I know I didn't go for drugs. I didn't go mm. and ask for HRT. I didn't think it had anything to do with menopause because I was in my 40s. Same with me. I I went for a brain scan. The doctor sent me for a brain scan. Why did they not say it might be? But I think the doctors just weren't... 
in tune with it and they didn't no no because actually that's one of the things if you look at uh the medical training that a lot lot of doctors have it's not so much based about menopause well i guess they've got so many other subjects they have to study but it is it affects women so much and it affects men well it affects half the population and then the other half have to cope with this yeah it has to become a bit more at the forefront really so you feel like you've come through it but you definitely had symptoms but you never did go on hrt did you no i didn't but i think I think I've told you before because I, I've got a, a, a gene, that, a blood clotting gene, but you, you can't take the traditional HRT. And you should probably, I mean, I've been told I could take one of the other ones. The body identical. Yeah, but again... That came too st- late, really, in your journey. Yeah, so I think I've got a few symptoms, but I don't know if they're related to, and I'll be honest here, too much alcohol, my brain fog. Um, I don't get the hot flushes anymore. Weight gain. Mm. I think that's just there. It's that middling thing, yeah, isn't m- it? Muffins, yeah. But uh, yeah, but it's it's stabilising. I think, and I, I'd like to feel there is definitely light at the end of the tunnel. I, for me, I feel better. Yeah. I don't. I don't get. I don't. You know, my sleeplessness. Is that the right word? Sleeplessness. Insomnia. Yeah. It's not insomnia. I just wake up at certain times. But again. Could but I think alcohol. that's also potentially sugar-related, isn't mm. it? If you eat late into the evening or you have a glass of wine or two in the evening, that can be part of that sort and, of and sugar it's a, drop. It's a catch-22 situation because you're not feeling great because of the menopause. You eat more, you drink more. Mm. And comfort. so then you don't comfort. Then you don't know whether it's because of the menopause or it's because you've had too much to drink or too much to eat. And you put on weight. Yeah. Mm. So And also, when you're going through the perimenopause and you're feeling really irritable... If you've got kids, that's also potentially, if you had kids in your sort of late 20s, early 30s, that's the time when the kids are at their most eye-rolly worst, their sarcasm, their embarrassment of you. And that can sort of feed on the irritability. I know that I was really embarrassed and upset, actually, when I, I talked to my family about this and I said... Was I really bad? I said, I know I was irritable. I know I was. And I know I got hot flushes because I would have up to 30 hot flushes a day. It was unbearable. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. It really was a lot. But they said, you are impossible. Mm. You were really awful. And kudos to my husband for being the calm, kind man that he is. I can only imagine how many marriages suffer mm. In, when you're hitting your 40s and possibly going through perimenopause at that point, how it can affect your relationships with your friends and siblings and husband and kids. Yeah, because you're just not rational. I no. realise that now. I must still get ratty, I'm not denying it, but that's my personality, you know, and short-tempered. But then I, I'm apologising and saying sorry and I didn't mean it. Yeah. That's always been me. But, but I know I was really, really ratty. And irrational. That's irrational. Yeah, like it would come at me out of nowhere. Like, and I'm a really, you know, glass half full, larking around, usually Mm. laughing, Mm. usually smiling. But this anger would come out of me like I didn't know what to Mm. do with it. It was like, you know, it was almost like an entity within me that I couldn't define or describe or understand. And I just literally wanted to rip everybody's heads off. Yeah, I think it's, it's... You can't define it. You you can't understand where it's coming from. And that's scary. It is. And that's what's great, that we are now being made aware of it, raising awareness at least, and that's what we're trying to do. Honestly, I think it's such a good point you made that it's just not enough men who are talking about it. 
And I do also recognise that because so many people are talking about it now, there is a little bit of almost like menopause fatigue, mm. which is sad because a lot of these women that we're going to be talking to on this podcast have worked so hard to raise awareness to all cultures, to all ages of women. And it has to start kind of early. You know, our mm. daughters, at least we're having those conversations. We certainly are. <laughs> Lucky them. But, I mean, I never had a conversation about menopause no. with my mother. No. I didn't even know she had one. <laughs> you know, it's true. It just wasn't mentioned. It was a taboo subject. Mm. And that, I think, has changed. It's breaking the taboo, for sure. And the Davina effect, mm. as it's called, in the UK at least. Um, so for our more international listeners, Davina McCall is a TV presenter. She's very aware of fitness and she made this absolutely brilliant documentary a few years ago that had women of the nation hanging off their seats oh my gosh it was like a revelation it's not just me and that Davina effect has caused a ripple in so many ways in terms of people going and asking for medication and in turn that has caused shortages prescriptions for HRT have doubled in the last five years that's a huge amount for the supply chain to cope with. Mm, especially with lockdown, thought, pandemic. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we went and talked to a number of different people. Firstly, we've got Carolyn Harris, MP. So to put it into context, this menopause mandate, is it's a group of motivated women from all walks of life. A lot of them are celebrities, but there's also campaigners, politicians, menopause experts, journalists... They include, well, the chair is Mariella Frostrup with that wonderful voice. Mm -hmm. And she also did a wonderful documentary, um, oh gosh, some years back as well. Do you remember? She made the BBC One documentary and it was called The Truth About Menopause. Mm -hmm. They've also got Alice Smelly, who is a health journalist, Laura Biggs, who was instrumental in setting it all up. She's the owner of Intuitive Events. Their patrons include Carolyn Harris, MP, Carol Vorderman. Davina McCall, Gabby Logan, Lavina Mehta, MBE, Lisa Snowden, Michelle Griffith Robinson, and Penny Lancaster. And then they've got a ton of experts. I mean, it's brilliant. It's such an incredible team of women with knowledge and media presence. Yeah. And isn't it fantastic? It's come together in a very short period of time. Mm, mm, months, really. Mm. We're thrilled that we got interviews with Carolyn Harris, Laura Biggs, and Alice Smelly. And Lavina Meta, oh, MBE. Course, yes. yeah. Bless her. She was, I mean, she just turned around her interview so fast and she was the most adorable, adorable person. They've all got something very different that they're bringing to the campaign. That's why it's so great. So, first off, let's go talk to Carolyn Harris, MP. Hi there. We're joined by the amazing Carolyn Harris, who's the MP for Swansea East and works with the Women's Health Strategy and is co chair of the Government Menopause Task Force. You have taken up the campaign of menopause <laughs> with gusto, haven't you? Well, I've certainly tried to. I've certainly tried to put it on the political map, shall we say. You've certainly done that, haven't you? Yeah, so one of the things, I mean, you've brought the attention of, of the UK, really, um, within government, talking about the shortages um, mm. in HRT, how many people can actually have access to it, which I think is only about 14%, percent. isn't it, yeah. of women have access. Yeah. And yet we are such a massive yeah. workforce. Well, 51% what... of the population. 
well, we deserve a little bit of uh, good treatment, don't yeah. we? Yeah. What what things are you trying to change um, through government and through your work with the menopause mandate? What I want to see is I want to see every woman being able to have choices about our own self. And by that, I needed to be able to access information, education, diagnosis, medication, or whatever it is she wants to do, whatever activity is going to help her. And I wanted to be able to do with her life whatever she wants to do without being held back because of the menopause, whether that's stay in work, whether it's to seek promotion, whether it's to have a life of luxury laying on a lounger somewhere. Whatever she wants to do, it needs to be because she wants to do it and she's got the right support to help her and allow her to do that. It's about choice, isn't it, really? And at the moment, we don't have that choice. I must say, I felt very lucky this morning as I was popping my Oestrogel on my my legs this morning. I thought, how lucky are we Mm. that we even have access to this? Mm. And how unlucky are we that right now I'm I'm careful with my one, two Mm. pumps. I don't Mm. use more. I don't overuse it. Why is there such a shortage at the moment? And and do you think it's going to change much? The shortage is, you know, hands up on this. The shortage is because we've raised awareness of what the menopause is. And as a result of that, more women have gone and asked for the medication, as a result of which there's been more prescribed. But as a result of that, the procurement of the most popular um, of the HRT projects has gone out of stock. And there's been a switch in to other products, which have meant they've now gone out of stock. And we need to find a better way of making sure that all women have access to all HRT if they choose to take it. And that to do that, we need a national formulary so that every GP, every pharmacist knows all the products that are available, all the products that can be prescribed and all the products which will help a woman to live a normal life. But you said that this morning you felt how lucky you were to be able to put on um, HRT. I worry about the many, many, many thousands of women who don't know that HRT can help them because they don't know they're menopausal because it's not conversations Mm. they've ever had. It's not something Mm. they've ever talked about. It's not somebody you've ever told them about. So they go through life suffering and they probably see them as separate individual symptoms, not linking them up and not realising that if you put all these little niggles and little symptoms together, they actually create one condition which is the menopause and they are the women I really feel that we owe we owe we owe them mm. that we actually allow everybody yeah. to know what it means and what what you and can do to help it you're right because a lot of us who are sort of informed and your work with menopause mandate and the experts and celebrities and doctors who are involved with that that's wonderful but we're already on the radar we're already thinking about it mm. but getting into more diverse communities who haven't maybe pick that up on their antenna mm. that's really important too isn't it because there's and that's a large where there are more women who are struggling every day just to get up out of bed and you know to get to work because financially they can't not work and they don't know what's wrong with them and they feeling as if they are worthless that they are inadequate that they are depressed that they're insomniac that they are you know of no good to man or beast and in truth they are wonderful women and they've not got that information and they've not got access to the information which would allow them to go to a doctor and say this is what's wrong with me and I and I Mm. hear this from women who are well educated I hear it from women who are you know 
low-income women who aren't only here because they've seen it on Loose Women or they've seen it on some popular day daytime programme, but the vast majority of women do not know that they're menopausal. They don't understand the menopause and nobody is giving them any support or information as to how to make their lives better. I think I read somewhere that when you were younger, your mums and aunties would send yeah. you out for a cup of tea. Mm -hmm. It wasn't discussed, was it? No. And I feel like it's discussed a lot yet, but it's still not discussed enough. And there's still not enough changes. For no. example, um, I know the hashtag menopause work pledge. That's trending a lot at the moment, isn't it? Because mm. workplaces have got to get on board with this mm. and, and help women improve working conditions. How do you see that? How do you see them helping? Well, Currently, one in 10 women are giving up work, one in four women are reducing their hours, and 68% of women are not going for promotion because they don't feel adequate, they don't feel they can do it. Mm -hmm. So that says to me that there are very many businesses across the world, actually, who are going to lose really good women or who are not attracting really good women because those women don't feel that they've got anything to contribute. And it's the businesses as well as the women who will lose out. If every workplace had a basic understanding of what the menopause is and what they as an employer could do to make a woman feel more comfortable, more assured, more welcomed, more understood it would be so much easier for those women to stay in work without feeling the need to leave or reduce their hours or not go for jobs they're really well equipped to go for, but afraid that they they shouldn't do it because they're afraid they can't do it. And it's still taboo. In, you know, yeah. How comfortable do many women feel in the workplace to go up and tell their male boss, perhaps, oh, you yeah. know, I'm feeling a bit brain foggy, you know, I've got menopause. It's embarrassing for some, yeah. and, unless I mean, we educate men and is. women. It is very, it is embarrassing, but it, but it shouldn't be embarrassing because if there was basic knowledge who had responsibility for staff, had a basic understanding of what the menopause looks like, then we wouldn't have, I mean, there's a few things here. We wouldn't have the, the potential for women to leave work. We wouldn't have women struggling while they're in work. But I really believe that tribunals for discrimination on menopause is the PPI of the future. Because there's so many women who are going to suddenly realise that whilst they were really struggling on the menopause and whilst their employer should have been offering them support and guidance and reassurance, they were actually quite dismissive and saying, oh, well, you know, if you're not up to the job and off you trot. And women are going to suddenly yeah. realise that they were constructively dismissed from a job that they only needed you know, very sl small things to happen for them to feel more comfortable in it. And I've talked to HR experts about this and they agree, you know, this is, the potential for this is quite phenomenal. I mean, I know that last year there was an upturn in the number of um, industrial tribunals because of the menopause. And if we go down the road that some people would like, which is that the menopause becomes a protected characteristic, then, you know, you can bet your bottom dollar you were going to have tribunals because that's yeah. when it will really kick in i'd like to think employers would don't need that because they would grow to respect it and act accordingly to prevent women feeling they have to leave but it is a very precarious situation
it should be grassroots human resources yeah. really taught at you know at the basics of of hr but you mentioned there one of the things you're pushing for is a protected characteristic in the equality mm. act isn't it to well, recognize men of yeah, it's not something way. i'm necessarily pushing for i'm a member of the women and equality select committee and it was a recommendation that they come up with I'm very cautious about that because I've all I used to say, oh, we should have statutory mandatory um, workplace policies. I've come to learn through my work that very often when you have something which is statutory and mandatory, it becomes a bit of a tick box, and people will do what they have to do, but they'll do no more. And what they have to do will probably be uh, on paper rather than in practice. I want to see workplaces being more organic. I want to see women actually feeding into what it is they as an individual need rather than a set of rules which if your need falls outside of those rules that there is no no no, no requirement for anybody to fulfill that but if you start with a basic framework and allow every woman i mean your menopause is different to my menopause is different to the next woman menopause what you suffer i may not something which is a minor for you may be a major for me and if you have the kind of employer who understands that, they can be flexible in what they do to help you to get through that phase yeah. of your life. Um, but, yeah, yeah, so some people are looking to that. I would like to think that we could stop the need for that by actually wising up now and being more proactive in putting the right things in place to stop us needing to legislate. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it's training, isn't it? But. Also, what we do know is that we're all going to have a menopause if we're women, unless, you know, it's happened very early. We're all going to go through that. So, you know, we've got to to address it. Now, one thing that Dr. Louise Newson has addressed is the postcode lottery Mm -hmm. of being able to get HRT products. Why are some some areas luckier than others? Well, it comes down to the national formulary. The fact that we haven't got a national formulary means that every health board will only have on its local formulary the products which they have, as a, com- a local committee, have decided that it's uh, it's that they would want their GPs and the pharmacists to actually to prescribe, and that may well. So be is that like to- a is that like a drop down box when they go on the computer? Well, I just think they it's get like a um, list of things. I think it's like a database, isn't it? If you put in yeah. back pain, um, then your screen is going to tell you everything that your local health board has passed as being acceptable legisl- uh, p- possible medication for that particular condition. So maybe the, the local formulary committee is, is behind. Maybe the pharmaceutical company who is marketing that product isn't as proactive. And there'll be all sorts of reasons for that. But so currently we have a situation where if in Manchester, for example, if you have a HRT and you are seen as relatively fit and healthy and you just need HRT, then you will get the old school dual tablet, which is actually equinurine. But if, however, you have underlying health conditions, then you can get the bioidentical patches. So they make in, but there's no reason for that because cost wise, there's not a lot of difference in it. But by having a mm. national formulary, then all the HRT would be there. And what you would actually see is the old style would eventually die out because most people want the new body identical stuff, which is actually made from yams. You know, whereas the old stuff, like I said, is, is horses we. So it's about choice, isn't it? And as long as you haven't got a full choice and you haven't got access to all the products, then you're going to be stuck with whatever that local formulary has decided they want to sell. And maybe some of them think they're saving money, but in reality, they're not. Because if they give in stuff which is not as good as, then 
it's not going to be as effective. Plus, right. I know from talking to pharmaceutical companies that they are trying to price their products so they're all very competitive. So there's no reason why they shouldn't be stocked. But it's we mm. need a national formulary. So only once those things need to come through the MRIH and only once they need to go through NICE and once they license, they're available. Talking about price, you bring up a really good point, of course. Should we have a single annual prepayment certificate? That would be amazing. And can we get rid of the dual prescription charges for the two different products you need to work in balance? Right. This is my big, big bone of contention. So I live in Wales. So women in Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland do not pay for prescriptions. Hence, for the two products that they currently need in terms of HRT, they do not pay for them. So I can go to my doctor, which I did week before last, get a prescription for my Ostrogel and my Eudrestrin, whatever it is. We get a prescription for that. Cost me nothing. If I was wow. living in England, I would pay £18, whatever, for those, okay? Yep. So I had a private member's bill last year. And the reason why I went for what I went for is I wanted to start talking about menopause. And I wanted to start talking about something about menopause that would raise awareness of it all across the country. And in actual fact, it went all across the world. And I looked at what was possible to do in a year's time frame, which is how long you get to actually get this legislation through. And nothing that we could have done would have been done in that length of time and relatively uncomplicated. Because once you've got one white tall department talking to another white tall department talking to another white tall department, it all gets really complicated. So as a woman in Wales, I recognise that women living in England didn't have the advantage I had of having free prescriptions. So we started to make inquiries and discovered that there is a process of getting free prescriptions if you are on a certain economic scale, but not everyone would fall under that. And sometimes it's when there's a another medical condition which may give you free prescriptions, but not everybody falls under that. So my argument was if women in the other three parts of the country are having a free, why can't women in England? And eventually after a lot of and fro in the answer came back that the UK government did not want to make HRT free because if they did that would open the floodgates to other conditions who don't get free prescriptions actually then campaigning to make the medication for that condition free and they'd end up where nobody be paying for prescriptions a little bit like Wales Northern Ireland and Scotland and they didn't want that so then I was trying to negotiate with them that they would introduce one cost once a year so it would be nine pound odd once a year so regardless of whatever products you were having you'd only pay for the one prescription they originally said yes to the dual cost and then came back quite short to the day when we were going to debate this and said that the legal teams had said that was all part of the GP contract. So until the GP contract was renegotiated, they couldn't introduce the one cost instead of two for HRT, but that they would introduce a once-a-year annual fee. So no matter when you went to get your HRT, if you went in January, for example, you paid your £18, whatever, and if you went every month after that or you went every three months or every six months, you wouldn't pay again until the following January. And they led me to believe that that would happen very soon. In fact, the words they used were in in by late January. So from October 
to the end of January, I kept asking, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And women were asking me and other colleagues were asking and nothing happened. Well, then in April this year, I was in a women and equalities meeting and the minister was there and she happened to drop into conversation that it wasn't going to happen until April 2023. Well, I was incandescent. I mean, she told me the story about how they couldn't do it because... Uh, it needs a new computer system and that this computer system was originally going to take two years to build um, but they'd, they'd uh, negotiated down to one year and that it would all come in April 2023. I'm still fighting that one. It's meant to come in April next year but I'm not giving up on that one because as a matter of principle it should be introduced by now. Then I wrote and asked or at some point I wrote and asked about could we now discuss the double cost to be told that they decided they weren't going to do that. So they're just not going to do that. I'm hoping by April 23 next year that women will only pay once a year for that HRT treatment. But I just lost faith in everything that they ever say and do, to be honest. So let's see what happens. But I'm fighting that one all the way. We need you to fight. We need you. And what I'm loving is this, this partnership with the Menopause Mandate where you're working with Alice Smelly, Laura Biggs, Mariella Frostrup, Lisa Snowden, Davina McCall, McCall, Penny Lancaster, Gabby Logan. This is amazing. And this is really raising their profile. This is really bringing it into the nation's uh, orbit so that we can really all talk about it. And so are the really quirky things like the Menno vest that Jeremy Vine wore the other day. And he he was very, very uncomfortable experiencing hot flashes or hot flushes, whichever country you happen to live in. Yeah. Um, And the Menno... The Menno bus, which I know you brought to Swansea yeah, this yeah. morning. Well, Cardiff. Menno bus. We went to Cardiff. Great. Yeah. Oh, it went to Cardiff. These are all great. This is really bringing yeah. it to street level, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's 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 doing what it says on the tin. It's raising awareness. And, you know, I, I am absolutely floored by how many women contact me and say that they've discovered they were menopausal after hearing me talking or Davina talking or Mariella talking or, or somebody talking or, you know, having you had a conversation. And now they are sharing that with their friends friends and and brothers and sisters and cousins and whatever and now more women are having those conversations but you know this isn't something which there's so many professional women who are in really stressful jobs don't know that they're menopausal mm-hmm. you know, I've gone to schools and I've spoke to teachers you said they're on antidepressants a bit like I was and that they thought that they you know they were just ang- had anxiety issues only then to having talked to them for them to go back to the doctor and say well look I think I may be menopausal and have been able to go on HRT. So there are women who have, you would have assumed, because of their jobs or because of their intelligence, would know this thing. It just goes to show how little we knew about it, mm. that well-educated women did not know they were menopausal. You think about how many women ended up in asylums for being hysterical way back yes, in the yes. day. And yes. how many of them were menopausal. I know from the work that I've done that there is no area of social policy no area at all where the menopause does not play a role. Domestic violence increases in menopause. Right. Women who experience domestic violence have a worst menopause. Women give up work. Women give up relationships. Women end businesses. 16% of women actually end up taking higher, end up committing suicide because they're menopausal. Women turn to alcohol, drugs, problem gambling. Women will make bad decisions, which may leave them destitute or worse still involved in the criminal justice system. You know, some of the things that you do when you're menopausal, 
post that, there's like no rhyme or reason for why you thought or did what you did when you did, but you did it. You know, there is just, there is no area where we should not be thinking about menopause where we are looking at social policy. Absolutely well said. And this is all leading up to World Menopause Day on 18th of October, isn't it? Um, it is. So you're going to have a rally in Parliament Square? Yeah. We're going to be launching the APPG because I chair an APPG on menopause as well as an all-party parliamentary group. We're going to be launching our latest report, which obviously will feed into the government. Um, we're going to be launching... Um, we're going to be doing something with menopause mandate. It'll probably be around something around the stories that we've had from women. In the evening, we're going to have the rally on Westminster Green just to commemorate women, really, and just to say, look, here we are. We're not going away. You know, we, we are menopausal or we're going to be menopausal and all we want is to be treated with respect and equality. You know, I don't ever want anyone to think that they have to do anything special. We don't need anything special. We just need the basics to allow us to be to live our lives as normally and as pleasantly as possible. Well, you can bet that Liz and I will be there on the 18th of October, that's for sure. Carolyn, thank you so much. It's my thank pleasure. You. How refreshing to talk to a politician who has so much enthusiasm and determination to raise awareness and change things. She is absolutely divine and, goodness me, I love that Welsh accent too. So let's go and talk to health journalist and author Alice Smelly and Laura Biggs, CEO of Intuitive Events, who both co-founded the Menopause Mandate with Mariella Frostrup and Carolyn Harris earlier this year. Let's start with Laura, if you can tell us a little bit more about the menopause mandate. Oh, well, hello, and thank you so much for having Alice and I on today. Well, I met Mariella, actually, on a midlife retreat, and and we kept talking because, obviously, we had uh, common ground with menopause. And she, I believe, Alice put me right if I'm saying this wrong, but I think Mariella was had uh, Carolyn Harris on the radio, just about on her radio show, just about the time when the government announced that they weren't going to give us one prescription charge as they promised when they had the rally in October and that it was going to be kicked into long grass to use a Carolynism and not brought in until March 2023. And obviously Carolyn and Mariella were rightly upset about that and decided to gather their troops and um, of which Alice and I were a couple of those troops and, and, and with this amazing uh, array of incredible women who are all campaigning for a better understanding of menopause and uh, yeah Alice and I ended up being the ones that were the women on the ground I would say and pulling the menopause mandate together on behalf of Mar um Mariella and Carolyn and it started as something yeah we can get ready we could do it and then actually it, it really took off and we got some great support and uh, yeah Alice and I are firm friends and working colleagues now we have been since last April that's how we kind of started you've left out the bit where it got scary <laughs> <laughs> it still is Did scary you, we didn't we didn't realize quite how much it would snowball and quite you know, what, how, what's kind of involved. So we did a meeting, we kind of launched in Parliament back in June, and that was literally just the patrons. So that was Carolyn and um, Mariella and Davina and Lisa Snowden and Penny Lancaster and many of the amazing doctors and supporters that we have. And people turned up and MPs came and we explained our aims. We didn't have much sleep, did we, Laura? 
I'm just saying it was quite stressful beforehand. Well, the media coverage of that was mm. just extraordinary and it really brought the whole menopause mandate into, into the arena. Everybody heard about it. The pictures of you within Houses of Parliament, the pictures of you outside, the huge amounts of support. It's been really fabulous and I feel like everybody's on a bit of riding the wave with you at the moment. But Liz and I were saying that when we were researching to talk to you today and we're both going through the menopause. I'm on HRT, Liz is not. So we're coming from somewhat different angles. But what we do find is there is so much information and Instagram accounts and websites and podcasts that it's making my head spin. It's actually giving me mm -hmm. almost anxiety that there is so yeah. much noise out there. So mm -hmm. it's, it's good to have something like menopause mandate that can filter it into, well, your four pillars of, of what you're all about. So, Alice, can you explain a bit more about what your aims are? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it comes from a place of, so Mariella and I wrote this book, Cracking the Menopause, which came out exactly a year ago. And that was based on the fact that we went to a seminar back in February 2020 about menopause. And all these incredible women sort of stood up and said one after the other, I haven't really got any idea what's going on. I don't know, you know, I won't take HRT because it's too dangerous. And that was the night that we just sat down and said, this is ludicrous. Let's let's write a book about it. So we wrote a book and it, it transpired. So of course, that's not the end of it. And the more that you learn, the more you realise how much how much women's health is kind of sidelined. So the mandate is, is based upon, I've got it in front of me actually, it's education for everyone, it's for health professionals and it's for women so that everyone knows that they're entering perimenopause and if they feel anxiety or can't sleep, they kind of know what it's about rather than just kind of floundering around. And then the other kind of focus is HRT, which is not to say that we think HRT is the only way forward, but there needs to be less scaremongering about the fact that body identical HRT is on the whole perfectly safe. The British Menopause Society says that for most women, the benefits outweigh the risks. And then the fact that HRT, good luck if you can get it, because there are these continuing shortages that have been going on since 2019. And the HRT czar has just been skedaddled back to the COVID-19 yeah. um, booster jabs job, which is fantastic in itself. But everyone's going, well, hang on a moment. The shortages haven't actually been resolved. And we've got another new health secretary. What's going on? Mm -hmm. So those are kind of the pillars. It's education and it's access to treatment is a kind of a summary of yeah, Making it affordable and accessible, right? Very much affordable. I've just been um, reading through all of the stories sent to our website, of which there are hundreds. And there are so many from women who have had to go private, who are paying you know, ridiculous amounts of money to get HRT via private pharmacies or via private clinics to get the, the kind of expertise that they need. And there's a lot of women who can't actually afford the charges which are being given every month because of the shortages. So they're having to pay for each item separately, yeah. which can mean £30 a month. That's, at the just moment, none fair. of any money. No, it's just not fair, is it? And, and mm. I've heard you both speak about education, getting to not just women like Liz and I, who we've got menopause on the antenna. And, you know, I certainly went through perimenopause, had no idea, literally was up begging my doctor for a brain scan because I thought something horrible is going on here. And it probably wasn't even until the last two years that I realized, oh, 
yes, that was perimenopause. Didn't know about that. So the education that you're doing is fundamental and likely would save the NHS millions if we could just do it a little bit earlier in the in the whole life chain, right? What would you say about that, Laura? Yeah, I mean, it's it's flabbergasting. So I, I think because, as you said, we're in it and we, we, we're talking and we're hearing about it all the time. But I can't tell you how many people I meet, obviously a similar age to me, who still have no idea what is going on. Or they'll say, oh, but I'm far, she's far too young. Or, you know, that's, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, and I say, well, what symptoms have you got? Oh, well, I feel more anxious than I used to. But I think it's COVID. And, you know, everyone's got something that they're associating it with and then not joining up the dots. So there's still so much to tell people. And Alice is much better factually on the stats than I am. But I think we're 14% of the UK are currently on HRT or taking mm-hmm. some form. And as Alice said, we're not yeah. all saying, oh, HRT is a way forward. It's a an, it's an one size fits all cure for everything menopausal. It's just that stage of life. And as you mentioned in your intro, I also run the fertility show. And it's similar, as in we're much further on with that now, but women were just not aware of their fertility and when that started to decline. And it's all linked. And if women and girls were more aware of what happens in that cycle from when you hit puberty to the end, then perhaps, you know, we won't be in this situation. This is just unique to our generation. And before, obviously, it was never spoken about. I literally was having this conversation with my daughter on holiday about the menopause. And she goes, I just don't know anything about it. And I thought, well, I've told her stuff. But she's just seen me go through it. It's not really, there's no education. But I've heard Alice speak about this, right? And you said when you worked for big magazines back in the day, you were told not mm-hmm. to talk about menopause. And these were oh. women's magazines. This was, this was one of Britain's biggest newspapers, and we just didn't ever write about it. It was, uh, and I was quite young at the time, I'd been in my 20s, early 30s. So I would have been complicit, thinking, oh, God, that's absolutely disgusting. But my children, who do know about menopause, actually use it as a stick to beat me with because they know far too much. And if, I meant, if I'm in a bad mood, they go, Oh, God, it's the menopause again, Mum. Gosh, there's just so much to talk about. There really is. It's fascinating, totally fascinating. It's as if we haven't been talking about it for years and then suddenly it's all at once and it is a bit overwhelming, certainly is for me. Mm. So I think we should break this into two podcasts. I think you're right, yeah. Let's, um, Let's finish our chat with Alice and Laura next time. And great news, Lisa Snowden is going to join us and Lavina Mehta, MBE. So I think it'll be really interesting to get their perspective. Lisa has been extremely vocal on social media, sharing her journey. If a well-renowned presenter and model like Lisa can feel as miserable and, and you know, be sitting on the floor crying because she's put on three stone, then I think it's pretty relatable to all of us. Oh, gosh, yes. She's supporting the menopause mandate as well. That's right. Yeah, as is Lavina. Yeah. All right, so we'll be back in two weeks' time. Meantime, you can check out our website where Liz has been really busy putting up a ton of resources. So you can find great links. Um, you've got Cracking the Menopause, which is Alice Smelly and Mariella Frostrup's yep. book. What well, else link, have you got on there? Links to the Menopause Charity, uh-huh. obviously to the NHS, the Menopause Mandate, Davina's TV series. Oh, that documentary. Program, documentary, yeah. Yeah, everyone should just go away and watch that. Wherever you are in the world, you can you can link to that, can't you, on yep. iPlayer? Well, and also, you've got symptoms of the menopause, so maybe we should all go take a look and see how many of those we tick the box on. Well, it's broken down by years, which is very interesting, I thought. 
and it starts much, much earlier than we realise. All and right. that's probably what people need to know. So we'll be back. Check out our website, www.twowomenchatting.com. Thanks for listening to Two Women Chatting with our special guests. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review. Even better, share with your friends. And please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. There's a link on our Instagram bio and Facebook pages. 